And I think the idea that Austin still to this day connects to people in that way and makes you feel instantly like those sisters our, are, are your sisters and, and you're in that drawing room with them and feeling their squabbles and their love for each other um, and how they'll be there for each other even when one makes a mistake. It, it's just so universal. Um, not only the love between Lizzie and Darcy, but the love between Lizzie and Jane and Leah's favorite, Mary. <laughs> Leah, Leah, who's your favorite? Mary. <laughs> you love Mary? This is the Austin Connection. We're hearing from B. Koch. She's the owner of the Ripped Bodice Bookstore, one of the nation's only, and at one point it was likely the only and the first, bookstores dedicated solely to the romance genre of books. B.'s co-owner is her sister, Leah Koch. They founded and co-owned the bookstore together. And you just heard B. talking about how Austin connects with readers today and with her universal portrayal of relationships through her characters. You heard B. Koch interrupt herself by saying that her own sister Leah's favorite Austin character is, wait for it, Mary. Yes, Mary. Pious, self-important, boring, unlovable Mary. We'll pick this up. We need to hear from Leah on this and let her explain. I I actually kind of like Mary because she's the one sitting with the she's sitting and reading all the time right and she she's a rebel in her own way she refuses to be pleasant and if she wants to be self-righteous then she can why why do you love Mary Leah because she's so annoyed like she like she's such an asshole (laughs) like she does I I always picture her as like goth that she would be like dressing goth now Ah. modern day um adaptation or whatever you know I don't know love it she's Winona (laughs) Ryder in Beetlejuice yes very Uh much yeah no she it just makes me laugh and and I I think um Anyway, keep I think Leah always associates with Mary because she like, like, of course, I'm always like, I'm such a Lizzie, I, like, da, 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 like, I, I totally am. And then there's this other kind of version of which is Leah, which is like, no, I'm the rebel. It's I'm, not the, I'm, it's not the cool one to be. It's yes. Like, <laughs> um, okay, oh let me, God. let me ask you two about now that we're on to Jane Austen, what, what, what is the relationship between Jane Austen and romance novels where you're concerned because you know scholars will tell you Jane Austen was part of the romantic period B as you point out helpfully in in your book but was kind of anti-romance in some ways in her writing she wanted women to think for themselves and she wanted us to carry our brains like armor you know so what how would you describe that relationship She's influenced a lot of Regency romance, I suppose, and really has made, would you say she's been foundational to Regency romance? Yes. I I would certainly say she's foundational to Regency romance. I I think not only in her actual stories, but literally the history of Regency romance is a pastiche of true fact and um, 
fiction that people have pulled from and uh, Georgette Heyer is a perfect example of that. Her role, I think, um, in the history of Regency is much more complicated than Austen um, because of some of the anti-Semitism and other stuff in her work. But she was like an obsessive scholar of Austin and her research notebooks are uh, uh, her doing all this research on a lot of stuff she read about in Austin. So that, if, um, isn't there like a phrase that you said, like never existed, but people think is real. Yes, there, there is, there, there are a couple things um, from Georgette Heyer's work that contemporary romance novelists have referenced um, as though it is a, a true Regency fact but it, it was made up in the 1930s by Georgette. I want to say it's like the Bunbury incident. That sounds oh. right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I I learned about this. So I learned about this at, at, when I was at Yale. Um, I took a class about historical romance novels with two um, amazing authors. I wanted and to scholars. ask you about this. You studied was, romance novels at Yale. It was one of the most amazing experiences truly of my life um, to be with so many other, 18 other, well, 17 other and one man who had no idea what we were talking about and really like tried to keep up with us. Bless him. Um, but the, I found, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not the only person reading this. And I'm not the only person who really sees that there's something here that should be studied like in an academic way. Um, and so, yes, we were, we read, um, I think it's a Loretta Chase that references something from a Georgette hire that didn't actually happen in the Regency, but she's referencing something. So, and, and it's like a wink and a nod to, to, to romance readers saying like, our, this history is its own. That That's not unproblematic. I'm not like, Georgette Heyer has serious anti-Semitism in her work, which as a Jewish woman, like deeply offends me and it makes me uncomfortable, including her in the higher, in the bloodline of, of yes. romance. But um, the way these sources play on each other, I think is so important in, in understanding our history and how we got to where we are now um, with Austin the idea of- Does some, like, like it's exactly what you just said, Janet we're still having this discussion now. We still have it once a week, which is, can a book be feminist if it ends with, you know, a woman getting together with a man? And obviously I'm, you know, romance novels now include people of many other genders who do not end up with just man and woman. But for now, yeah. we'll talk about that. Um, we hear from people all the time um, that are like, well, I I, if she needs a man to be happy, then how is this feminist? Um, and I feel that like that was that exact question that Jane Austen was exploring and romance novelists still explore. And um, I think we have a lot of different answers to that question, depending on how annoying the person who's asking it is being. But um I think- But I, I think that goes back to that question of like devaluing inner life. Right. And, and like, like romance is not important. And if you're writing about romance, you're not writing about what's important, which is like so interesting because to me, romance is the most important thing. And if you're not writing about romance, what are you writing about? I feel but like I feel like Shakespeare was writing about a lot of things, but he was also writing about romance. Right. I think there's some sexism 
involved in that and double right. standards involved in that, mm. you know, that, that we've mm. all been influenced by those of us interested in reading and in literature are constantly having to deal with this devaluation of basically our lives and our experiences and what matters to us and what makes the world go round in some way. With feminism, I feel like there's often these like sort of wild swings from like only focus on your career, like uh, partners and children don't matter. And then we wildly swing the other direction with, which is like, if you want to stay at home and have eight children, that's what you should do. And, and we seem to have a lot of trouble finding a place in the middle. Um, and I think modern romance novels, I think certainly attempt to do that. And I think good modern romance novels tend to be very holistic in their approach to the central characters' lives. Um, so I think now, you know, and, and I mean, obviously in the past as well, but when you look at the bestsellers coming out of our store, it's the characters have a very interesting career and, or it's, or it's in a really interesting setting. And, you know, it, it's just, a, it's a very holistic approach that for some reason seems to freak people out um, that um, you can, both have an interesting career and if you so choose fall in love at the end of it and you don't have to go off and have eight babies but if you want to you can and then they will all get their own books <laughs> very well said This is the Austin Connection, the podcast we're hearing from Leah and B. Koch, owners of the independent romance bookstore, The Ripped Bodice. We've been talking about feminism and the romance genre and what it all has to do with Austin and our lives today. That is what the Austin Connection is all about. Leah and B. also work with Sony Pictures, identifying stories and books for the screen. We continued our conversation by getting B. and Leah's views on LGBTQ romance, diverse representation in romance novels, diversity of all kinds, and some of their favorite Jane Austen retellings and adaptations. We also talked about problematic love interests. Here's the rest of our conversation. So one thing that I, I'm thinking of hearing both of you is, uh, you know, I just feel like this generation, young generation of readers, the people parading through your store all the time, like all of these questions and all of these novels and all of this reading and all of these conversations are in your hands and, and people younger than you coming up, um, which is really encouraging. What about uh, my, my daughter um, identifies as LGBTQ. She hasn't discovered Austin yet. What does Austin have to say and and can Austin be appreciated and how by LGBTQ readers, by young black readers and readers of color? What do you say about that? Excellent. I'd say that Austin can absolutely be appreciated um, and that there are also queer and writers of color and that trends, all of those from that period as well. Um, so if you're interested in getting into the classics, it's always interesting to read Austen and to see how she addresses those issues or doesn't address them. And then also there are authors, contemporaneous authors to Austen who are much more um, 
uh, what's the word I'm looking for, upfront <laughs> on the page with representations of race um, and sexuality and different religions, disability. Um, it's an excellent um, question. You know, I think it, it's extremely related to what we were saying earlier about adaptations. Um, you know, I think um, there's, you know, I think if, you know, specifically your daughter or other people, you know, in enjoys um, reading them, that there's, there's such a rich world that has exploded from her work. I can think of truly, I don't know, let's say eight um, adaptation, what I like to call Austin adjacent um, works that are somehow related to Austin, um, whether it's a direct, you know, adaptation or, or inspired by. Um, so there's clearly something about her work that endures and that people are interested in looking through a modern lens. Um, Pride by Ibi Zoboy is a young adult Pride and Prejudice set. Is it the Bronx or Queens? I can't remember. One of the boroughs in New York. Um, Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors by Sonali Dev um, is a huge family epic. She does all. She does several books. So Pride, Prejudice, and Other Flavors. Oh crap! The second one is escaping me. Um, so I think it's Persuasion. The third one is Incense and Sensibility. Yeah. Uh, that's I great. Just that one is really good. Um, oh, so she's done three. Yes. I didn't um, realize that. And these are about a very rich and powerful Indian American family in San Francisco. Um, and I, I was just having the most fascinating discussion with one of my booksellers the other day because we both just read the third one about, you know, the how we felt like the characters were lining up about the original characters. And, and I was like, well, I want to know more about these side characters. And Sarah, that's the bookseller was like, well, they like didn't really ever get a good ending in Austin. So like, maybe they won't in this. I don't know. It was just so interesting. Um, that's yeah, really fun. Love to buy purely because it's literally called gay pride and prejudice. Um, and I think it says by Jane Austen. And um, let me look up the author. Hold on. <laughs> That's awesome. But what you're saying, laugh. Leah, is so cool. I think it's like, you know, people have done this with Shakespeare for a long time. I feel like it's totally fine to compare Jane Austen to Shakespeare. They Ooh. created, they, they were so good at just chronicling the human experience and that we can, there's plenty for us to take and apply to our lives and our world. And I think that they would both stand up and applaud for all of the radical, creative, fantastic, innovative ways that we superimpose their plots and their characters onto our contemporary lives. I mean, you you could, we could, we accidentally, I think it, when our book club was still meeting, I think they got mad at me or just thought it was funny that I like accidentally did like three books in a row that were some variant of an Austin, you know, because some of them are really loose and I kind of like don't remember. And I'm like, oh, this is this cool book. And they're like, this one is also Austin. Really cool. <laughs> um, Kate Christie, by the way, is the author of Gay Pride Kate, and Prejudice. Kate uh, Christie, Gay yeah. Pride and Prejudice. Thank you. I was actually going to ask you for some titles. So yeah. that's awesome. Um, 
And I mean, one of my favorite books of the last year, um, I don't know how old your daughter is, but when she's ready for this, um, there's a lesbian pride and prejudice, um, modern set in Seattle that I just loved. um, Oh, she's ready. What's the title? (laughs) Uh, Written in the stars um, by Alexandria Belfler. And it's so hard. It's, it's, I think that one of the hardest parts, uh, if you're going to do a modern version of Pride and Prejudice is um, to make Darcy asshole-ish enough without making everybody hate him. Or in this case, so tough. Um, And she does this so well. Um, It's, it's, you really like understand, because in this case, it's a woman, her sort of motivations and her her inner life and yeah that one is great um it's so true that balance between in in some ways so many leading it doesn't even have to be men it could just be a love interest needs to be elusive Mm -hmm. and kind of difficult in some way and i just wonder if, if we actually do does that start with jane austen like does that start with darcy and also knightley you know those are difficult men you 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 want them in your romance. You don't necessarily want to be having breakfast with them. <laughs> I think that's something to kind of remember. Let me tell you, for <laughs> years, I was like, oh, I'm going to date this man because he's difficult and Darcy's difficult. And I bought into that lie and it's a lie. And no. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's honestly embarrassing <laughs> how many disagreeable men I date. Fantastic, Mrs. Koch, that you've discovered this before getting married. Congratulations. Thank you. But I do think it it needs to be said, and I will say this in this Substack newsletter as often as I can, because this is a fantasy, everyone. (laughs) Even in Jane Austen, she was kind of anti-fantasy, but she was showing you something that was kind of sexy sometimes as well, um, that you have to remember, that this is not necessarily a guide to life. (laughs) <laughs> yes, that she needs to heighten the tension to to really make it worth your while for him to to break in the end and fall for Lizzie. If that was real life, I would strangle that person. <laughs> it's not that it's not that sexy in real life. Yeah. No, but it's great in that novel. And you're right; that's an artistic technique as well. She's very good at suspense, Austin. Thanks so much for your time, you two. Have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you. So nice to meet you, Janet. Good luck. Nice Um, to meet you. This was so interesting. Thank you so much for including us. Oh, it was a pleasure. Bye-bye. That was B and Leah Koch talking with us here at the Austin Connection about Regency women, romance, diversity in publishing, history, and so much more. I also got even more on B and Leah's favorite Austin novels, some of their favorite romantic tropes, and some of their favorite film adaptation. That's in an upcoming outtake of the podcast. For subscribers, keep a lookout for that outtake. It's really fun. By the way, when we talk about representation of diversity in the Regency era, we are not just talking about fictionalized characters. As in Bridgerton, we are talking about the actual diverse makeup of real Regency Britain. It was a real thing. And scholar Gretchen Holbrook-Gerzina 
has written that there were black British citizens in England during its Regency era, many of them living independent lives, pursuing trades and arts and activism. And it just so happens Professor Gretchen Gerzina is our next guest here on The Austin Connection because it's all connected. I'm Plain Jane. Thanks for connecting with us here on The Austin Connection. See you next time.